Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and traces from technologies like Istio, AppMesh, and Envoy. Plus, Datadog's service map automatically plots out the dependencies in your microservices architectures for seamless, context-rich troubleshooting. With rich visualizations, algorithmic alerting, and more than 250 vendor-supported integrations, Datadog allows you to monitor your distributed applications in real time. Start a free 14-day trial today by visiting datadog.com cloudcast, and Datadog will send you a great free t-shirt. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. August continues to roll along. We are here into the second week of August, and you know, if you ask me, other than it just being incredibly hot and humid and muggy, it feels a lot like March, and April, May, June, July. Yeah, basically every month feels exactly the same these days. So. Uh, if you're out there and you're living in a place that's just dealing with the COVID well, congratulations. Uh, glad that uh, you are healthy and safe. If you're living here in the States and every day feels like Groundhog's Day, well, maybe someday we'll get that right. But right now, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But we plow along. Let's dive into the cloud news of the week because we need a little bit of uh, happiness and joy in terms of things being invented and uh, new ideas coming out. First thing in cloud news of the week is that Microsoft launched the open service mesh. Um, you know, for those of you that were following the service mesh space, you know that there was a little bit of a of a hullabaloo, a little bit of a kerfuffle uh, that went on with how Google handled uh, Istio. Uh, was not donated to the CNCF as many expected uh, long ago. It was kind of created their own new foundation for Istio, which is you know kind of ruffled a few feathers in the service mesh space. So Microsoft came along. Uh, they had done some work around something called SMI, Service Mesh Interface, a while ago, kind of. Uh, you know, looking ahead to say, hey, there may be more than one mesh out in the world. And, and obviously we see things like Linkerd and, uh, you know, stuff from Kong and we see things like Istio and others. So um, open service mesh is sort of a lighter weight service mesh. It's built around the Envoy proxy. And uh, Microsoft has stated that they will be donating it to the CNCF so that there uh, shouldn't be any confusion around conformance and compliance and governance and so forth. So interesting to see that sort of happen. Um, you know, it happened sort of right on the heels of the Istio announcement. And uh, we'll see how that all sort of shakes out in terms of, you know, what companies decide in terms of what sort of meshes they want, uh, how important governance is, open governance versus open source, and how the community as a whole uh, reacts in terms of vendors maybe making uh, shifts in their product roadmaps based on this decision based on uh, versus the Istio decision. So it will be an interesting thing to watch uh, as we move into later part of 2020 and, and into 2021. And in follow-on service mesh news, uh, Kong announced Kong Mesh 1.0. So big week for service meshes. Um, Kong had been kind of in the uh, in the service mesh space, mostly in the API gateway space um, previously, but had been kind of dabbling in service meshes. Uh, they had come out with something called the Kuma Mesh. And so the Kong Mesh is really kind of uh, service mesh built on the Kuma Mesh, which Kong had been uh, donating to the CNCF as well as Envoy as the proxy. So seeing a lot of uh, service mesh built on top of Envoy, uh, there was some fun little uh, spats going on on Twitter between the folks from Linkerd and Kelsey Hightower about how everybody needs to learn Envoy as a core thing. It's sort of become the new, uh, you know, hard way to learn something. So uh, kind of interesting to watch that if you're into Twitter spats. But yeah, the service mesh 
Crush space is heating up. Uh, there is a lot going on in the space. Congratulations to Kong on getting that out there. It's a hot company to watch, somebody we really probably should have on the podcast at some point in time. And then finally, McKinsey had an interesting paper that came out. Uh, they called it the 10 anti-patterns that are derailing technology transformations. And you know, if you dive through it, you're probably going to feel uh, pretty comfortable seeing a lot of them in there. It's everything from, you know, we built the technology without a business problem. Uh, we built the technology because it was hot. It didn't necessarily apply to what we were, uh, you know, the space we were trying to, to, to work in, sort of resume-driven development. Uh, there's some talk about, you know, having fragmented groups within an organization all building their own approach to cloud and everybody building their own, you know, infrastructure, their own cloud, their own platform. So it's an interesting read. If, if nothing else, it should be, you know, kind of a good checklist for you to go through and be like, hmm, is my company doing that? Are the companies I work with doing that? We probably should stop doing that. So anyways, good read. Nice write-up by the folks at McKinsey. And uh, it's always good to sort of have stuff brought up to a little bit higher business level. So we're going to wrap that up for Cloud News of the Week. And uh, we have a really interesting sort of new topic we're going to dig into. We're going to dig a little bit into GraphQL, which is uh, gaining a lot of traction in the API space. Um, have a fun sort of startup, new startup that's going to help talk to us about GraphQL. And up front, I need to apologize. One of the things that I am absolutely horrible with on this show is uh, names. I, I let the guests always know up front, I'm probably going to butcher your name. And boy, did I get this one butchered. So up front, I apologize to both Tanmai as well as Yoshi uh, from Hasura, a new startup um, out in the Bay Area that is uh, doing some very cool with uh, GraphQL. Uh, GraphQL, and there I go butchering uh, names and words again. But I apologize to them up front because, boy, in the introduction to this one, did I butcher their names. And uh, the rest of the interview is awesome. Please ignore the first 30 seconds or so when I uh, get that wrong. But excited to jump into that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by DiviCloud. DiviCloud protects cloud and container environments from policy violations, threats, IAM challenges, and misconfigurations. Types of misconfigurations that have cost enterprises a jaw-dropping $5 trillion over the last two years. DiviCloud provides continuous security and compliance across all cloud service providers and containers, including AWS, GCP, Azure, Alibaba, and Kubernetes, providing a comprehensive view of what's in your cloud, along with the tools and automation you need to manage it today. DiviCloud is proving that security and innovation are not mutually exclusive, one customer at a time. Join innovative enterprises like Spotify, Fannie Mae, and Discovery, who have found the freedom to innovate securely without loss of control. To learn more, Visit DiviCloud.com forward slash Cloudcast. That's D-I-V-V-Y-C-L-O-U-D dot com slash Cloudcast to sign up for a free trial. DiviCloud, find your freedom to innovate. And we're back. And folks, as you know, if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you know that we always love to have not only you know new topics to introduce you to new topics, things that we're seeing a buzz in the industry about, but also we love to have new companies on the show. We've, we've always... Uh, we've had sort of a long history of having uh, really interesting new startups, startups that have gone on to do uh, big and exciting things. And so anytime we get a chance to to have a new company come on the show and not only introduce us to a technology we haven't talked about a lot, uh, but also you know talk about the passion behind their company, that's always exciting for us. So excited today to have the two co-founders of Hasuna, uh, Tamai Gopal and, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Rajoshi Ghosh. The two of you, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you both on. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here. Uh, hi, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Hi, yeah. everyone. Um, so I, I want to get both of your backgrounds since you've both uh, been entrepreneurial in the past. You've worked together some, and, and now you're starting 
uh, Hasuna. But uh, Tamai, go ahead and get started. Give me a, a little bit of background on on you um, and and kind of what's made you passionate about uh, about wanting to to start the company. Absolutely. Um, so I, I I come from a I come from a computer science background. I did my bachelor's and master's uh, in computer science uh, a while ago. Um, I, I specialized in computer vision machine learning. Uh, and at the time, uh, I, I did some, you know, I did some freelance consulting for a while. I worked with the defense uh, organization in India and stuff like that. Uh, and after about uh, after a little bit of doing that, I, I felt like I wanted to dig my teeth into something more real, which is ironic because now everything is machine learning. <laughs> it seems to be machine learning. <laughs> so you know, so much for that. But uh, but I but I did have kind of this. I, ha- I had a passion for systems, uh, the programming languages and databases and uh, 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 and infrastructure. And so I kind of went into, mm, I, I took a kind of a hard pivot into that. Uh, and, and one of the things that I, I felt very deeply about in, in a non-technical sense was this, this idea of basically, you know, democratizing this ability to, to build cool things and, and to build new things and to, to accelerate our, to, uh, to accelerate kind of the, the rate at which we're, we're building amazing things, you know, whether it's individuals or companies uh, and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to figure out uh, working with people, uh, uh, working with like-minded people, figure out kind of what these gaps in industry are. You know, are the education gaps, are the tooling gaps? Um, and that was around the time when uh, I met Radoshri and we started working together. Uh, and we started a consulting firm to basically start helping companies of all sizes, from some of the largest companies in the world, some of the largest banks in the world, to, to even startups, to, to even just independent uh, developers. And, and we started kind of finding different kinds of problems that people were facing that would kind of 10x their productivity. And one of the things that we noticed at the time uh, was this data access layer piece, uh, which seemed to be this bespoke piece that everybody was building themselves, but kind of seemed like a thing that you need not build yourselves. Uh, and so we came up with an idea, a method to automate it. Uh, and and we, we automated that, uh, you know, it went into production uh, and, and uh, we got somewhere with it. So we got super excited and we were like, all right, this is good. Let's uh, take this product out uh, and let's start, uh, let's start Hasura. So then we raised, uh, we raised VC money. Uh, uh, five of us. Uh, we, we shut down the firm. We shut down a consulting firm, uh, and uh, five of us came out of that. Uh, and and we started we started Hasura. And then you know that's kind of when the the Hasura journey itself began. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 me. Uh, Rajshri also Rajshri uh, comes from a computational biology background. But Rajshri would the yeah you should <laughs> talk about that. That's interesting story. Yeah, Rajshri, you you are running uh, well COO. So which means not only running operations, but usually means running a lot of different things, but give us a little bit of your background and, and what's made you so passionate about uh, working with this group and wanting to come forward with uh, with Hasura. Absolutely. So I, like Tanmay mentioned, I, you know, was in the research field. I come from a computational and bioinformatics background and I was, you know, busy doing genomics research, you know, uh, for the first few years of my career and then realized that that's going to uh, see the light of day after many, many, many years and decades and kind of took, again, did that hard pivot into sort of, uh, you know, uh, working with very early stage entrepreneurs and the thread over there uh, connecting those two careers is basically programming. So I went from like, you know, I I went from uh, building things in the genomics world as a computational biologist to kind of uh, teaching programming to, uh, you know, uh, folks who wanted to start companies but who came from non-technical backgrounds, I was teaching them. And what happened during this, um, you know, during this uh, phase when I was teaching 
you know, entrepreneurs to be entrepreneurs, how to program is that I learned a bunch about entrepreneurship and startups. And this entire program basically had lots of people with successful companies who would come and speak to the students. But I also was somebody absorbing all of this knowledge, which got me very excited about, you know, working with uh, working with technology, building, building something that could, uh, you know, uh, building something that, you know, me and like people I, w- uh, I would be working with would be excited about and then and so when I finished that I sort of came back Tanma and I were sort of uh, we happened to meet uh, and at this at, at a stage where we were both exploring you know what we wanted to sink our teeth into and uh, and we realized we you know started working together one thing you know led to another the consulting uh, company was sort of what we first did and uh, from there was born like little bits of Hasura, which we then uh, made a different company and sort of started out. So, yeah, that's that's been my uh, my journey. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. We we love to have founders who, you know, not only have uh, have been living kind of with the technology problems that they're solving, not just, hey, we've you know, we, we did this at some other company and therefore we're just going to do it again. But you've you've sort of lived with the problems and those problems kind of drove you to find things. So it, it kind of, it builds that credibility of immediately understanding and empathizing with with your potential clients. And then obviously, um, you know, we've, we've always seen tremendous success with companies who start with uh, having female founders in the group. So congratulations on that. Um, uh, Sura is well known for GraphQL, uh, for, you know, really trying to do some innovative stuff in this space. But for folks that aren't familiar with the technology, maybe they've heard it uh, somewhere, um, give us some understanding of kind of the basics of, of what the technology does, where, where it sort of came from, and um, you know, where, it's, where it's focused to try and improve how applications are built, how data is accessed. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I, think, I think the, way, the, the best way to kind of understand GraphQL is that, is, is first of all, that GraphQL is very simple. It's not magical. It's, uh, it's very nice, but it's a very simple uh, it's a very simple technology, and what it does is, uh, is is it works at the same layer that you would have had other APIs at. So if you thought of like SOAP as a technology, or REST as a technology, GraphQL is a technology kind of at the same layer. It's basically a way of defining how APIs should behave. Um, and if you think about uh, if you think about APIs that we used to have, like REST APIs, the idea was that you know you'd make an API call, you'd get some data. Uh, and 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 as as kind of uh, over the last decade decade plus, as we started building more and more uh, applications on the front end, especially uh, you know mobile applications, web applications, we realized there was an ergonomics problem, uh, and there was a uh, with with using REST APIs. And this this problem was that a REST API predefines the data that it will return to you, and it will predefine the the data that 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 the consumer or the application requests for. And, and this becomes challenging because every time you want to iterate on the application, you want to fetch a slightly new slice of data. You want to fetch slightly less data because it's in a mobile and it's not on, a, it's not on the web, right? Or you want to fetch more data because it is on the web on a larger screen uh, mm-hmm. with a more rich experience. Uh, you realize that you can't do this because you have to go back to the API development team and tell them to build a new API for you. What GraphQL does is it flips the problem and it says, the way the GraphQL API works is it's kind of similar to SQL almost, where it's like saying, but but at the API level, it's kind of like saying, we'll have one API endpoint, and to this API endpoint, we'll post a query. We'll, 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 we'll send the query of what data we want. And this query is going to say that I want, you know, I want the user profile, I want the user's products, and I want the user's addresses. And this is how, this is the data I need to render the profile page on this application. 
right? As opposed to being restricted to a predefined set of APIs. Now, what this did is this this gave a tremendous amount of power to application developers to iterate and build stuff faster without waiting on new endpoints uh, that were giving new shapes of data to be built on the backend. Of course, this introduced a fair amount of complexity, which we'll get into. Uh, but uh, as an experience, it was amazing because it was a JSON-first experience, um, just like REST or the most common implementation of REST where people exchange data in JSON. Uh, GraphQL was designed with JSON at the foreground. And you kind of post a query, and you get this JSON data. And the ergonomics of creating that GraphQL query, of, of specifying what data you want and getting that data back is amazing. And, and that's kind of why developers who consume GraphQL APIs have fallen in love with it. Yeah. Does no, that make sense? I, yeah, no, it makes makes a ton of sense. I mean, it, the, the two things that sort of immediately jump out at me is, is number one, um, you're probably going to see performance improvement because you're you're asking for a query in, in exactly the way you want. You're not having to kind of think about, okay, if, if I'm only getting predefined sets of data, that might be two, three, four yep. queries, or I might get them in different yep. ways and I have to do it. So yep. that jumps out at me. But then, yep. like you said, um, if I don't, you know, if if the application changes, the, the business environment changes, hence the application changes, I don't have to keep going back to the uh, to the to the exactly. data team and saying, "Build me a new API, build me a new, you know, test it, validate it, authenticate it." So, yeah, your your ability to iterate seems like it would be much faster. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and I think that's also the, yeah. I mean, that's and that's pretty much been the draw for GraphQL, right? I mean, I think the whole you know the whole uh, front end and full stack developers love GraphQL for that very reason, because, you know, once there is an endpoint, they don't need to kind of depend on teams to sort of build that API for them. And the developer experience around GraphQL and the tooling for them is just so, uh, so rich and so powerful. So I think that's, that's, that's been one of the biggest draws of GraphQL and what's happened, uh, what, what, but, but sort of where, where, where there is that tension is typically, you know, somebody needs to build a GraphQL server mm -hmm. and building a GraphQL server is, you know, fair, it, it can get fairly complicated. And so what happens is if there is the team that needs to build the GraphQL server, who's typically very familiar with, you know, uh, you know, their non-GraphQL world, there is no immediate benefit that, that, you know, uh, that team would see in terms of building a GraphQL server. So there's usually like, you know, so what we've seen is uh, people have started wrapping REST APIs with GraphQL and sort of creating that extra layer in the middle just so that the develop like the front end teams can have GraphQL. But, you know, it takes a lot of convincing to get the back end team to kind of build that uh, GraphQL server for them. So that's sort of also a very, um, that's also where we've seen uh, you know, our adoption uh, as Hasura, which, you know, uh, we'll get into in a little bit, uh, become, some, become, become interesting because with Hasura, you don't actually, it kind of bypasses this whole requirement for building a GraphQL server because mm. what it does is you point Hasura to your database and other data sources that you may have, like other REST services or GraphQL services. And Hasura sort of gives you a GraphQL API. Hasura just... So the entire building a GraphQL server in the middle is just something that you completely bypass. So you point Hasura, uh, you have a UI, you kind of create relationships between the different data models, and it just gives you that API that with uh, the authenticated API, which now your front end teams can immediately get productive with, and the back end teams just have to sit, just have to make the you know uh, uh, configure uh, configure these different relationships and different data sources using uh, using this sort of. Uh, uh, UI or, or or even like basically with code. Yeah, and that, and that was kind of what I was what what jumped out at me was was when you said, hey, you know, sometimes you 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 have this 
pushback of, you know, nobody wants to build a, a GraphQL server. You know, was that something that, you know, would have fallen on the database team? Is it something that would have typically fallen on the API gateway team? Or, you know, who would have, you know, ultimately been sort of tasked with doing that before Hasura came along and, and, is, and is making that simpler? Yeah, I think it would have been, um, it could it would have depended on, it, it, it would depend on the kind of use case that you have, right? Let's say, for example, it's an internal application. Uh, that you're building inside like an enterprise environment, right? You're building like a internal app or dashboard. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's more. It's in, in this case, if you're sending, uh, you know, the, uh, often what people don't want in an enterprise environment is they don't want they don't want arbitrary teams connecting to another team's database directly, right? Gotcha. You don't want to. You don't want to say. I mean, this is what used to happen, but you don't want this to happen anymore because you you can't control that access, right? You can't secure that access. It becomes more painful. You can't govern it, right? You can't say. I'm going to rate limit this team to 100 per second. I'm going to rate limit this team to 2,000 per second. So you typically need to build that API. So the task kind of falls into the the owner of that data, whoever the kind of the owner of that data is of that data product is. Uh, you know, maybe they have to staff up a team to build an API to say, let's build this GraphQL server on top of this database, right? Um, in the in other kind of more uh, external application environments like consumer applications and stuff like that, um, you are or if the app that you're building is you know a mobile app that an end user outside your organization is going to use, um, this is typically the web API team. Or the web server team. And this, this web server team was typically building REST APIs. Uh, now they need to build uh, GraphQL APIs. And uh, they don't want to build GraphQL APIs, like Radushi said, because it's just work. Like as a backend developer, it's just work for me. There are there are zero advantages for me as a backend developer to provide this API, which is much more complex. The surface area is much larger. It's a new thing to learn. There's no tooling around it. Um, you know, it's it's I don't want to do that. So what often happens is that the burden falls back to the front-end developers who want this GraphQL API. So, so let's say you have a back-end development team that's willing to give it a shot. The yep. API development team is willing to give it a shot. They'll bite the bullet and they might give you a GraphQL API. Uh, but otherwise, what also happens, which is a third variation, is that sometimes the front-end teams themselves stand up a GraphQL service that talks to the REST API. So they, say, they, they, say, they, they tell their API development team, all right, fine, you folks don't want to bother, it's okay. Let us build this and let us deploy it. Um, and I mean, and that's fine. I mean, there are, but there are, as you can imagine, challenges with that because it's a different area of expertise, right? It's a, it's a, you're suddenly getting into the business of building and maintaining servers instead of uh, instead of optimizing your end user application, which kind of brings its own complexity. So these are kind of the three places where the burden falls. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. I. I and and I, what I'm picking up on is so you have this. You have this technical capability that that if it's there is fairly straightforward to say, hey, um, we're going to be able to, like we said early on, you're, you're going to be able to build applications that are more performant. You're going to be able to iterate on applications without having to make tons of changes. But yet the yeah. mechanics of getting there, there wasn't necessarily the you know, the the drive from an individual person to have to deal with it or the complexities of saying, well, this application needs this much performance or this rate limiting or this security, but this one's different. And so you have to stand it up. Mm-hmm. And you and, mm-hmm. and Sora has sort of come along and said, hey, instead of, you know, skipping that business benefit because it seems sort of painful to get there, why don't you let us bring our expertise and, and you know, provide this in the middle exactly. so that you can just plug into it. Exactly, exactly. And and think of it now as a service instead of it, of something something that you have to build, right? Right, something that you just stand up. It'll now it's a service. It'll maintain itself. It'll run. You can upgrade it, right? So it becomes much easier to think of it as infrastructure instead of thinking of it as thing that something that you have to build. 
and and so that 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 really accelerates. Um, the the other the other um, the other interesting thing to mention about GraphQL here is also that you know it's not uh, GraphQL because it was invented um, you know at at Facebook to solve you know exactly the two problems you talked about, which is that application development performance and the the uh, you know also like you know being light on the network and being able to iterate faster. Um, what's also really nice about GraphQL, GraphQL often gets a lot of attention in that application development space. But GraphQL as an API itself is also very nice because um, the tooling around GraphQL uh, is, that, is that is that you, you know with with the rest you have to do something like you have to have an open API specification or a Swagger specification, right? That used to be called Swagger. You need to create these specifications to describe your API. And the process of creating this specification is independent of creating this API. So if somebody wants to explore your API or browse your API, it's not a trivial task. It's very painful, right? You have thousands of API endpoints. Somebody has to sit down and manually automate and doc so manually document each of these APIs. With GraphQL, what happens is that the any GraphQL server itself uh, is introspectable. So to any GraphQL API, you can in fact make an API call and say, hey, GraphQL API, tell me all of the models you have. And the GraphQL API will return that metadata to you and say, these are the various models I have. And these are the relationships between those models. And these are the types of every single field in those models. And that tooling is phenomenal because the ecosystem has built a lot of tools to help you browse that API automatically. Uh, and so nobody maintains this extra element of documentation of what the API is. And so this usually means that when people start using GraphQL, their understanding of the data that they have improves. And that is an other order of magnitude benefit on your ability to iterate. You can build applications much faster if you understand what your data is really like and how it's structured. Yep. Yeah, no, there's nothing. Right? There's As nothing... opposed to in the blind kind of looking at one API endpoint and be like, what does this do? What does that do? Yeah, there's yeah, and there's nothing worse than than sort of great technology with bad documentation or or bad content. To you know, it's hard to get started. You don't really know where you're going. It, it, the context is hard to figure out. So no, that's that's excellent to hear. Yeah, Ryoshi, I want to kind of get your perspective from a from a business, uh, you know, kind of the business side of things. You know, what what are you know we talked about you know just kind of better performance, build applications faster. But what what are some of the kind of tangible business things that you're seeing driving this move towards GraphQL? You know, what, what are some of the, you know, kind of the common business patterns that people go, okay, that's, this is where it's applicable. This is where we're going to see business value created or business cost savings coming out of. So I think in, in uh, so I think with smaller teams and with indie developers, uh, just the productivity benefits that you see with GraphQL is what is uh, driving the adoption. And I think the business benefit uh, is that, you know, if you're a small team, you're just able to do a lot more, um, uh, build faster, ship faster, uh, sort of all of those benefits with all of the tooling that's available, uh, that, that becomes sort of the draw and just the API experience, you know, developers are automatically drawn towards technology that, uh, you know, helps them uh, build faster and gets them more productive. So that's, that's what, that's, I think, something that we're seeing in the sort of, uh, you know, uh, with, you know, hobby devs, small teams, uh, early stage startups. What's happening in enterprise, though, is very interesting, because what's happening with enterprises is when, when you're looking at GraphQL, and when you're thinking, when you're, when you're thinking about sort of uh, making the move to GraphQL, and because it sort of touches across several different teams, 
we're seeing it closely align with quote unquote the digital transformation journey in 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 uh, in enterprises so this is usually when you know the teams are starting to look at sort of uh, either building new applications and they you know they want to move to the cloud or move to newer technologies it graphql um you know serverless the choice of databases all of these decisions are kind of things that are happening together in the whole move towards moving towards modern technologies hiring full stack developers who are easier for um you know for for uh, enterprises to uh, hire fast rather than looking for you know developers with very very obscure skills so as they so as they are moving towards uh, you know these these uh, sort of larger initiatives and looking across the stack uh, you know and and optimizing for time to market time you know uh, you know easier easier hiring uh, like you know robust technologies graphql sort of comes in uh, as one of the as something that they want to adopt uh, as part of that entire uh, as part of that entire exercise and 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 frequently the the biggest draw there is you know when again the sort of getting to uh, you know getting to market fast with whatever they want want to build and 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 uh yeah right yeah no it makes makes sense uh so in in terms of in terms of what hasura offers i know there's there's you know there's an open source element to this um that's available that, that there's uh, a bunch of community built around there's an enterprise sort of on premises version but i want to talk a little about the 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 cloud version because it's um it's very much focused on um, helping companies that want to work across different clouds, so not only consume it as a service, but also begin to work, uh, you know, with services that are running in in multiple cloud environments. Um, how much are you seeing of of that interest from companies who say, "Look, um, you know, we're we're kind of we're very lucky in that I can get great services, whether they're from SaaS providers or from uh, the IaaS cloud providers or whoever." Are you seeing? Are you hearing that more and more that being able to just pull great cloud services from wherever they want to is is really really important or are you still seeing them tend to be focused kind of on on one path and you can help them in either way i think in terms of uh, in terms of uh, multiple it's not just about multiple clouds what we're seeing is data is being is is fragmented you're not really yeah. looking at you know your data is no longer just in your database right? right and just because of that automatically you're in different environments so you you will have you know your data hosted in whatever cloud uh, in your database but then you also have your payment information in stripe and you have some erp which is hosted somewhere else and you have some cms that's hosted somewhere else so data is fragmented because of the way people are just building applications and because there are like you know specific services solving specific uh, uh, problems really really well and that that is somewhere that hasura really shines because what hasura does is you it you know doesn't matter whether it's multi cloud whether it's different services whether it's different teams in your organization wherever your data is you know your um, you you sort of with you know you sort of you uh, have hasura you pointed to these data sources you configure relationships between these different data sources and then you get that secure api um, that you can start um, that your developers can start using to query data across these different data sources so uh, if you're in the same data if you're if you're or if all your services are in a single um, you know in a single cloud environment sure you can definitely use hasura and it's still it's 
still has the same benefit because even if it's in the same cloud it's probably in different like it could be a different team and it could be a different domain so you're still able to do that but i think uh, the fact that you're able to bring in and stitch data across different sources including third party apis is what makes uh, hasura really powerful and something that people really um, uh, sort of uh, uh, like using it for yeah i mean it it, it seems like it, it avoids really two things for 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 users one is um, you know having to deal with with data gravity right moving things around just for the sake of bringing it into some common location right the location becomes less of an issue or the the gravity of data and then the other thing is it it doesn't burden uh, you know application developers with the problem of saying well look um, you know, something was built a while ago, and we were and we're using that, or we're still using it to get business value out of it. I need to just change it for the sake of changing it to to make it fit some other model. Right? It, it feels like it gives them the flexibility of, of both those things. They don't have to be so burdened with having to make lots of changes up front just to kind of make it fit a specific model. You can you can consume data from from lots of different places. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and I think especially for enterprise, that's a really important requirement, right? right? Because it's not this this data migration piece is not trivial. It's very hard, right? It's it's uh, you you can't really take in a data a living, breathing kind of operational data store and and move that somewhere else, right? Right. Um, and especially if you need that access, uh, you know, near real time, you you don't you you can't afford taking that data, putting it in a data lake or a warehouse, waiting for a few hours, right? right. All of that to happen. To get access, you you need instant access to that because well, these are all operational um, end-user transactional applications, right? They need that access immediately, and so being the power of being able to do that in a secure way, in a performant way, uh, that's huge. You know, that un- that unlocks a massive amount of you know business opportunity for uh, for our customers. Right, right, yeah, and I, and I think the the people that realize that. You know, most enterprises, if you were to take a really pristine architectural diagram, the way to get from that to, to an enterprise is the first thing you do is you crumple up that piece of paper. And then the second thing you do is you you unfold it and then you scribble all over it like a, like a, like a three-year-old. And then that's what their architectures look like in real life. And so if you kind of can't live with that, then you're going to struggle in the enterprise. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's not because enterprises are evil, right? It's not, no. it's not like it's not, Evolution. it's not because people inside enterprises are evil. It's just because that's, the, that's real life for you. It's like things just change so fast. Things right. happen so quickly that you, yeah. you can't afford to be super pedantic about things. And this is how things have to be and how they should be just don't have the time. Right, exactly. They go through mergers, they go through technology transitions, regulations come along, there's all sorts of things. Um, what are what are some of the easiest ways for people that you know that you've seen for people to, you know, get started with with uh, uh, GraphQL to add it to their applications? What are some of the, you know, kind of first things you're you're always telling people to do to be successful? So this is something that we've actually spent a lot of time on because we uh, we have this entire uh, series of tutorials that we built, which are completely vendor agnostic to just get you started with GraphQL. Um, I think we have over 17 courses. So what we what so all of the front end courses that are there are essentially some uh, you know based on the stack that you come from. So if you're a React developer or an Angular developer or an iOS developer, you basically there's this, there's one application that is uh, pre-built and you're kind of making these API integrations with GraphQL as you go along. So you're kind of like, uh, you know, you're kind, you're, you learn GraphQL by making these integrations in uh, in an environment that you're familiar with. So that's something that, you know, we invested a lot of resources into because uh, um, 
because you know sort of uh, learning graphql was something that people are looking to do but uh, this apart um, there i think yeah i think learning by doing is definitely um, definitely uh, something that helps people sort of really understand how graphql works and there are also lots of really good resources out there um, you know egghead has a bunch of courses uh, eve uh, uh, uh from eve uh, she's done a bunch of diff- really good uh, graphql courses on egghead there's a bunch of tutorials i think the graphql foundation has uh, has a course on uh, on graphql um the hasura.io/learn tutorials are the, uh, are a resource and uh, across the stack um yeah i think so there's there's a lot of uh, different resources a lot of great content on egghead for sure so yeah those okay. are good places to get started and 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 i think you can find some of those at hasra.io/learn where where our courses live but also i think the other part of the question is you know how how you know another part of what people struggle with is like how do you introduce graphql into your stack right which is sure. uh, which is like you know i already have this existing application what do i do and and again it kind of there, there are two i think broad approaches to doing this one is that um, you you kind of wrap over these existing apis that you have right and uh, and it's kind of a uh, easy way to get into graphql meaning it's a low risk way of getting into graphql uh, it's still a fair amount of effort but at least it's low risk because uh, you the core apis that you have right and the uh, uh, the guarantees around those apis you're not you're not affecting them so that's been a popular that's been that's been a that's been a popular way of kind of introducing graphql the other method especially that we see with hasura users is that they let their existing application run as it's running uh, and then they just take hasura and they point it to the same they point it to the same operational kind of database and they get a part of their api now from graphql so now they start transitioning their apis gradually over to graphql and this especially works very well for the read side because a lot of these applications are read heavy right uh, and so so you're able to start gradually migrating away from the rest apis to the graphql apis for reads you continue using a rest apis for writes and eventually uh, you bring the writes into uh, graphql as well through mutations uh, and so 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 that's another path to kind of easy migration Nice, nice. Yeah, it's always it's always good to have migrations that aren't purely lift and shift, or uh, you know, you know, kind of rip and replace and so forth. So very, very cool. Well, listen, uh, one last question, and, and again, thank you so much for the time today. We you know we always love when we get a chance to to learn about something very new to us. Uh, the name Hasura, where did it come from? What uh, what does it mean? What's the sort of history or the story behind it? <laughs> That's uh, uh, so Hasura is. Um, uh, uh, without the h asura mm-hmm. uh, is a word in uh, sanskrit and it means demon and the demon is basically a pun on the word d a e m o n okay. which is you know the background yeah. processes yeah? yeah and h is uh, for haskell because you know the core of hasura is in haskell and you know when we were naming it we like somebody was like demon in the name and somebody said hey has- let's let's add h in hasura that's kind of the informal story of how it came together but uh, that that's the name and our logo has a lambda in it which is scaled very well actually because it started off with lambda for haskell but it's actually also like we work really well with serverless technology so it's kind of scaled really well uh, uh you know the lambda very cool yeah very cool. That- yeah and the, and the logo has the little 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 sort of demon at least uh, impl- yeah. <laughs> impl- impl- implications and does the does the demon have a, a name or a nickname or anything 
No, no, it's just a generic we, word. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we've we've interchanged. We've just used Hasura for his product and our mascot and the and and the demon. So it's kind of been the same. At some point, maybe we'll get into the naming exercise and yeah. you know make a big splash about hey, look, That's we've right. done this whole <laughs> thinking about what we're going to call our character. Yeah, more more important things uh, early on when you're starting the business, <laughs> yeah. though. So very cool. Well, listen, naming uh, things is a hard problem. A very very hard problem, as we all know. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, Tamai and, and Rojoshi, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, if folks want to reach out to you, uh, learn more about Hasura, learn more about the technologies, maybe what are the, the best ways uh, beyond the website to, to reach out and uh, you know pick your brain? I'm on Twitter at TanmayGo. That's the best place to reach out. And feel free to you know, reach out for anything related to GraphQL or Hasura, or just generally if you want to have a chat in general. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm on uh, Rajoshi, my my entire name, which okay. is something I created a really long time back. But I'm on Twitter as well. You know, feel free to hit us up there. If you have anything about Hasura, we have a very active Discord community, which is at uh, discord.gg slash Hasura. So that's a great place to jump in and ask the community questions about how people are using Hasura or any questions you have about GraphQL and Hasura. And otherwise, the website is the best place to find the tutorial stuff to get started with Hasura and anything else at all. Yeah, that is great. We will get uh, all those things in the show notes for anybody who's listening along and, and couldn't take notes. But uh, two of you, thank you so much for the time. We're always grateful to, to not only meet new people in the community, but uh, but hopefully share some good learnings with the community as well. So folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. We, uh, we thank you as always for listening to the show. We thank you for telling a friend, for rating the show on iTunes and other places where you get your podcast. And with that, we're going to wrap up and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 